0: Neil, before we get into your slides, we're very excited to launch a mass-market product with you called Demography Unplugged, which will be available at the beginning of Q2. Um, I think it might be worth, you know, if you could spend a few minutes just talking about this product and your expectations for it, and then we can get into your slides, and we already have a bunch of great questions in the queue for you as well.
1: Great. Um, I'm really excited about this new product. Uh, We're going to... uh, It's going to be a combination of... of, uh, of, uh, Um, uh, podcast uh, video and uh, you know written reports Uh, we currently do uh, for some of our other clients a a newswire a kind of summary of uh, weekly events with a lot of commentary and that will be available to all participants Uh, anyway we got a lot of different stuff we're going to put into this and um, I'm excited the the other thing too that that I like is I get a lot of uh, email from people asking me to ask questions answer questions about, uh, I don't know, a lot of it is what's going on in the market of the world. Sometimes it's just, what should they think about their kids? <laughs> you know, so, some of it is just a lot of family stuff having to do with uh, generational relationships. So uh, one of the great things, too, with this, with, it, with the ability to do podcast, is to actually answer uh, questions from people and kind of uh, interact with uh, a broader audience. I've, I've been excited about doing this for a long time
0: great uh i know you have a few you few pretty interesting slides to walk us through and then we can jump into q a uh yeah uh
1: well mainly i just wanted to uh talk a little bit about uh you know where we are in the in the uh you know in the broad sweep of history and i i uh, I, i get this question a lot this is a good chance to just recap it quickly uh we have a huge election coming up in fact the the presidential election season started uh, only a, a few weeks after the uh, the previous and midterm election stopped. So I don't know how many uh, official uh, officially announced contenders we have on the Democratic side, uh, but I think it's
0: soon going to be in the double digits. Yeah, I think it's. I, I this, actually looked at this. and I think it's like nine or ten already, which is crazy. Yeah,
1: ex- exactly. It's amazing. I mean, everyone is piling in. The party is moving hugely to the left, and Joe Biden, who's stranded out there as a kind of silent generation centrist uh, kind of looks uh, out of place. You know, he was uh, widely associated with participating in uh, cracking down on crime back in the mid-90s, and that's coming back to haunt him. He was part of the uh, he was he was really in charge of the effort to put through that 1994 bill, which Bill Clinton signed on cracking down on crime. As you know, Daryl, that's when all those Gen Xers were running wild in the streets. Uh, Exactly. Well, things have changed, and, uh, you know, history comes around a little bit of whiplash. And now, of course, anyone who participated then is apologizing for ever having anything to do with those mass incarceration. So (laughs) it's going to be a very interesting positioning on this election. Right now on Predict It, the Democrats are already uh, expected to win 62 percent to 38 percent. We're not even— I mean, this is January, right, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, 2019, uh, and of course, globally, we have the continued movement of populism around the world. Uh, this year was definitely the year for Latin America. We had AMLO in, in Mexico uh, uh, putting an end to the PRI party, which ruled there for 80 years, uh, and we have uh, Jair Bolsonaro, who's sort of almost the new military dictator of Brazil, uh, and right now, presiding as 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 many of the listeners know, of actually a huge market rebound in Brazil right now. Um, uh, but we see what's happening with the uh, you know the yellow vest movement. Uh, uh, Emmanuel Macron's ratings are down in the low 20s. That's worse than Trump on a bad day. Okay. Right. Uh, so this is amazing, and we always predicted that uh, Macron would go the same way as um, as uh, you know that. Uh, Renzi, you know, that Italian technocrat. Uh, they by the way, the two of them are close friends. I think the future is much more like what they now have in Italy, which is basically left-wing and right-wing populism coming together oddly, weirdly, jointly. Uh, but anyway, so things are warming up politically. Uh, in the economy, the entire global uh, uh, recovery cycle is beginning to wind down, um, and you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in and everything that uh, you know, the macro team says here on uh, on uh, quad four and and, and uh, quad three, we're going to go back and forth between those two quads. But it basically means real growth slowing down. Why is real growth slowing down? The fundamental reason is that we've run out of employment, and that's something we cover a lot. If yep. you look at age-sex categories uh, uh, individually, and then in there was adjusted by age, we are above the level of uh, employment to population rate that we were at in nineteen uh, in 2007. Uh, the secular trend is these rates go down over time. So I think we're we're on fumes there. So this is going to go down. And finally, and demography. Can, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, you, yeah gonna go. I was
0: going to say, you can really see the employment trends in this long-term graph that you put together.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, take a look at that. Yeah. So this is, uh, and by the way, we, we're just releasing a piece this morning Uh, taking on a recent report by Morgan Stanley talking about the coming youth boom in the economy uh, and how the demographic winds are really at our back coming up. Uh, We don't see it. Uh, That, by the way, that you just looked at is the Census uh, uh, Bureau projections. Uh, Those don't look very encouraging, do they? Uh, Take a a look at that again. Get it back on the screen again, because I I just want to point out that we will have a little rebound. You see in the 2030s and 2040s, those will be the children of millennials. Remember, the millennials were an echo boom generation, and that would be the echo of the echo. So you see how that works. Um, But the the, the 2020s looks unremittingly bad. The average uh, uh, growth rate of the working age population would be around 0.2 percent. That's just above zero. And why? Because all the boomers are retiring this time very small cohorts of, of you know late wave millennials and and homelanders are coming in it's gonna get better later on the, the Millennials kids will be coming in and Xers will be retiring and that'll be better uh, but go to the next slide because this is kind of interesting what we did is we did a very simple model of the economy going back you know the post-war era well going back to 1960 basically tracking we made a very simple model of the economy where we just basically said, what if we model the economy by just saying the economy every year was going to grow at the rate of the working age population plus the trailing 10 year trend in productivity growth and the um, employment population growth? So, you know, of, of the prime age employment population growth. And this is a really instructive graph. You can see, first of all, how our 10 year um, uh, compounded annual growth rate GDP has has hugely gone down, right? We're, we're way down here. We're at this very disappointing level. But you can see what's contributing to it. You can actually see a lot of history in this chart. You can see, for instance, how back in the 70s, all the boomers coming in and all the women coming to the workforce should have hugely expanded GDP. But of course, that was counteracted by a huge collapse of productivity and so on. And you can see that the problem recently over the past 15 years is that we have been suffering on all counts. That is to say, employment, population rates gone down, the uh, the the demography has slowed way down, and our productivity growth has come down. So that's a disaster. Now, one last chart. We just project that into the future. Take a look at this. We just assume, you know, this this is all written in stone. Those light blue lines. That's just growth rate of the working age population. We assume that there's going to be no net change over time. You know when women coming in or out of the workplace and we just take the trailing 10-year productivity growth rate and we cast it forward now you might say wow that looks pessimistic (laughs) Um, but keep in mind that the imf right now is already projecting 1.4 percent by the year you know i think it's 2024 Uh, the cbo is at 1.8 the fed is at 1.8 well we got 1.3 but if you want to believe the OMB and Mick Mulvaney and go for 3.0, you can do it. But you'd need a productivity miracle uh, we've never seen before. I mean, not even back in the, in the early 60s or 50s. Did you see that?
0: Is, so, is that sort of what the OMB is underscoring in, in their point, that productivity is going to expand beyond well, what, we, what we've seen? Well, you know,
1: as, as, um, as, 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 as Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said recently in a recent speech, he, he admitted, he said, and, and we all admit. Productivity is the one thing you can't really model, can't really predict. You know, yeah. We can predict certain inputs, certain you know, human and, and physical capital inputs to creating productivity, but most of it is innovation, most of it is unpredictable. And uh, uh, so you can always wave your hand and say, you know, ah, there'll be a lot of productivity because of our policies. You know, we, we have that special something right that's gonna unleash it. But I'm just saying, if you're prudent, if you're realistic, and you And you do this this ten year trailing average, which is simply what we did. You simply assume the next year is going to be what the last ten years you know the average last ten year performance is yep that's a pretty sobering
0: outlook okay um, got a bunch of questions here for you. The first one I want to ask though is um, you you talked about this report that Morgan Stanley came out what if you if you could sort of summarize it what how is their view? So dramatically different than your view. What what are they looking at, or what are they seeing that you don't think is accurate or good, good? Well, it's interesting. It, it's
1: it's not so much that they're um, it, it's a, it's a, it's an odd report because they actually agree with census. They say they actually say we we can't fault it. We think their assumptions are plausible. Uh, it's mainly framing. In other words, it's kind of mis it's redirection and framing the attention of the reader. They basically say. Well, it's going to be a boom because the rest of the world is good, is doing a lot worse demographically. Well, okay, I'm the first to admit that. I mean, you know, I, I look at, at Italy and South Korea and, and, and uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, uh, fine. And then they also say that the uh, Generation Z coming after, they call it Generation Z coming after millennials is a smaller generation, but it's not the huge baby bust that the Xers were. And therefore, because it's not a bust, we're going to call it a boom. I mean, literally, that's what they say in the report. <laughs> so that's an odd way of of lowering the bar, you know, for defining yeah. a boom. And then they have a various number of technical things. I mean, we we respond to this all in the in the thing we're coming out with this morning. But it's people just not waking up. This this is a this is a very unusual era. This is the lowest working age population growth by far in American history. And it's not going to be that low again until maybe the 2050s or 2060s. Yep,
0: got you. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second on the election, um, as you touched on. Obviously, to your point, we're a long ways out. But, you know, let's get our crystal balls out. Number one, do you see Trump running again, and do you see anybody challenging him? And on the second point, who do you think could win the nomination on on the uh, Democrat side? If you look at the polls on the Democrat side, obviously Biden it's kind of still polling at the top but to your point you know can he get the base you know is he is he far enough left how, how do you see this election playing out in all, almost 2 years from now which is a long long way to predict but i know you always have thoughts on these things
1: well it's it's a long way to predict look um, i the idea that an incumbent party would put aside I should say, a party would put aside an incumbent president who's willing to run for another term. That's never happened before in American history. Uh, we've had some incumbents who preferred not to run. Uh, um, you know, the most famous case being Calvin Coolidge. And that was actually the victory because Hoover won. Of course, that's not anything that anyone would like to be as the next Hoover. <laughs> but but, but my point is, is that it's never happened where you've involuntarily sidetracked an incumbent. Right. That's just never happened. Yep. And um, uh, uh, however, uh, depending on Trump's poll numbers, the economy, and indictments, uh, it could come to that. I know there are a lot of people in the Republican Party who feel they're trapped in a car uh, with, with no handles. You know, they can't get out. I mean, they're just basically passive, stuck in this thing. Uh, they, 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 they have no choice but to sit there uh, stuck with Trump and, and that's, that will be an interesting question. It will be first in American history. Going on to the uh, democratic side, um, uh, I think it's I think the party has moved to the left. I think they're going to want to energize uh, millennials. Um, and I, I think we, you know this could be a case of populism, the left we're going to see. I tend to favor less the, more a kind, of, um, a kind of, Marshall McLuhan would have said, warm candidates emotion, Christine Gillibrand's and the, yep. and the Kamala Harris's. Harris now actually t- pulls at the top of predicted. I think she's yep. at like 27 cents to the dollar. Yep. Um, I favor more the, um, the wonkish, more rational side. I, I favor more the Elizabeth Warren and the Bernie Sanders. I think more of that hard edge economic left is going to do better than that more emotional kind of culture war stuff. Uh, I don't think that's going to play very well either in the primaries or the election.
0: Gotcha. Okay, great. Um, So first question here from subscribers. Neil, what is the biggest risk to American hegemony over the next decade? Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) This could probably be a a couple hours we could talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I, I think it's the... The, the, you know,
1: the breakdown of the global order, right. um, and we already see that happening. Uh, keep in mind, when we talked about this, this period of demographically the 2020s, this is a global decade of demographic um, uh, 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 tightness, right? In other words, the whole world is going through this, and in fact, uh, for much of the world, including much of Europe. The maximum uh, increase in the dependency ratio of old people to working age is going to occur during the 2020s. So all those, you know, all those entitlement-heavy states is going to get much worse in the 2020s. So compound that, I think that the decade will probably start off with a with a with another recession. I mean, you know, we should be realistic. These things kind of go through go through phases, um, and and I think it could be bad news economically, and I think it could you, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, yep. The populist parties in Europe, for example, are, are generally tend to be anti-EU to some extent. Right. You know, they, they, they say, yeah, we, should be, we shouldn't be part of NATO. We shouldn't be part of these, these uh, globalist mechanisms. And obviously, Asia, I think, is what everyone's looking at. Um, I think that
0: kind of goes without saying. Yep. This is actually an interesting question. Is there any model for sustainable economic growth for a nation with little or no population growth? Are there examples today, or are we in uncharted territory?
1: Uh, we're, we're kind of in uncharted territory. I mean, people make that point all the time. Um, I, we have never had a period of stagnating population growth over a large part of the world, except in cases of, um, you know, a, a colossal war or plague. You know that that kind of situation. We do know though that, and I've written about this a lot. We did a book called The Graying of the Great Powers. We talked about this, that the slowing of the macro economy in a, in a secular ch- uh, sense, where, for instance, even in a good year, you may have negative GDP. People don't realize that, but if your working age population is uh, shrinking at two percent per year, uh, and productivity is growing less than two percent, you may have Negative GDP in a full employment year. I mean, we we, we can't wrap our minds around that, right? I right. mean, the whole growth of economics from Adam Smith on was just assumed a lot of population growth. Yeah. And what that does is it changes the mentality of market participants. Everyone then there's no more uh, positive sum game. Everyone wants to protect their share of the market. So the rise of cartelization, the rise of monopoly markets, um, the rise of protectionism. Uh, we saw that in the 30s. This is all an attribute of kind of the zero-sum mentality of stagnant
0: demographics. Okay. Uh, Neil, what do you make of the yellow shirt movement in France? Does this have anything to do with the fourth turning? It's uh, it's
1: certainly related to the populism. Yeah. Uh, and it's very interesting. It's uh, uh, So I have this thesis about uh, why, I mean, you, you, people say, well, why did you you know, predict that Emmanuel Macron would fail, and we did. Uh, And that is the following rule. I always take this rule. It's very difficult for a centrist, technocratic leader to be successful. It's like threading the needle to be successful in a country where there are very few moderates. People are too much fixated on left versus right. I don't fixate on left versus right. I think left versus right are largely interchangeable. I look at how big the moderates are in the middle. Um, and the the point is is that Italy and France are both countries in which the moderates are, are you know, frankly diminutive and impoverished and, and powerless. And what happens is is that it's very interesting now in Figaro with the recent uh, uh, you know approval ratings of Macron, they're almost as low on the far left as they are on the far right. In other words, on the the supporters of uh, you know La France Insoumise, I think you know the the, the this is the left you know the left uh, party in France. It's uh, only five percent approve of Macron, yeah. and of course the National Front, the right wing, it's only two percent. <laughs> so, so you know the left and right both hate him, and 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 we see the same thing in Italy, and particularly the young, uh, the the twenty-five to thirty-four year olds, um, are are more negative on macro than any other age bracket now.
0: Right.
1: So, yeah, it's, 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 it's part of that general trend.
0: Okay. Um, cu- a few questions on the immigration. Uh, first one, how much immigration do we need to sustain a healthy growth rate above 2%? And I guess, could immigration be the wild card here, ironically, right now, or when we're trying to limit immigration?
1: You know, I used to do that. I used to do calculations all the time. How much immigration would Germany need? How much immigration would Italy need to actually keep their dependency ratios from rising? And it is vast. <laughs> I mean, it is. You know, there's a reason why we grow our own kids. Uh, you, it's just not plug and play. You know, um, y- you need a lot. You need a, You didn't need a an enormous inflow. I mean, think about it. Um, uh, you know, we have. A net immigration to America of, you know, legal and illegal now of around around a million a year, uh, but we're a pretty big nation. Uh, the uh, the you'd probably need a similar absolute amount in many of these uh, European countries uh, to prevent their, you know, to prevent their demographic ratios from getting much worse. Okay. The, I guess the point is, Daryl. The bottom line is. Yes, immigration helps. There's no question about it. And if you look at one of the reasons why Japan is in such a bad situation is they have just virtually no immigrants. Right. I mean, the is in fact most of these Confucian societies don't really accept or assimilate uh, immigration. But but the problem is you need a lot more immigration than than even we have now to make to make a a, a significant difference. All
0: right. Okay. So for this one, we're really getting the crystal ball out. What do you think of the possibility of a new Bretton Woods agreement at the end of this fourth turning around 2030, which could mean a global common currency and a central bank, global common central bank? Um, I think there,
1: I think there is a possibility of that. You know, in the at the beginning of uh, the first turnings, uh, historically, would be like, uh, yeah, was was was. Uh, Bretton Woods and GATT and uh, the IMF and the World Bank and the UN, uh, you know, after the Napoleonic Wars, looking at another uh, fourth turning was was the Congress of Vienna. In other words, all of the the weary and beaten up and and exhausted world powers uh, get together and they just said, okay, this whole thing's a mess. Let's redo it from scratch. But they're not going to get there on a sunny day. You know, they're going to get there after things get a lot worse before they get better. Yeah.
0: Neil, what, would you compare the demographics of the 1930s, a, a, uh, i.e. the Great Depression, to, to today? Or is that a good analogy? Uh, no, the demographics today
1: are much more adverse. Yeah. Uh, there's no question. I mean, you know, the, yes, the certain countries in Europe had lower birth rates, you know, uh, in the 20s, and particularly going into the Great Depression, and that factored into the kind of the politics and culture of Weimar. You know, Oswald Spengler with his book, you know, The Decline of the West and so on. He talked a little bit about this decline. But they were just talking about declining rates of growth. They weren't talking about, you know, absolute declines like we're seeing today. Um, uh, so it's it's much bigger now. I would say the other thing that's very different from the 30s is in the 30s, uh, countries like, you know, the United States with the New Deal, you uh, federal government was very small. So for a new kind of civic generation to suddenly create all these new public works in this huge new role from government, they, they basically had all this empty space to build on, right? right? Today, we already have this edifice built in, which is already rewarding all the old people. So you have to destroy at the same time you build, because there's no room there now. And I think these two attributes, demographically worse, and we now have something we need to tear down before we can build new, right? Yeah. Are the are the two things which actually make it more challenging today?
0: Neil, you talk about the world not growing, but what about Africa growing exponentially? Does that impact your global outlook at all? You mean demographically? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at the United Nations, uh, and it's very interesting how the United Nations does it. They they assume that everyone moves toward a gradually replacement rate fertility. It's they—they uh, they have no idea of, of of knowing, of course. But if you look at at why the world continues to gain population, out in the you know 2040s and 2050s and 2060s, it's all, more than all of it is sub-Saharan Africa. Now that's just by assumption, and I have actually questioned that assumption. If you think that Nigeria. You know, by the year 2060 or 2070 is going to have a population three or four times that of Europe <laughs> in that little country. Yeah. You know, given what they can produce. It's just not going to uh, happen. I I think you're I, I don't think you're being realistic. Right. So, I actually don't think that's necessarily going to happen.
0: Okay. Uh, we're going to wrap it up with this question which is, you know, probably a little more of a lengthy answer, but Neil, I uh, love your books. Curious to hear you talk about generational archetypes and walk through how that's manifesting today with current generations, millennials, Gen X, boomers, etc.
1: Wow. That's, you end with a big question. Yeah, Jeff.
0: well, I saved that one for the end.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, we see it today. You know, we, we do talk about archetypes. The profit archetype, born after a crisis, indulgently raised, coming of age during an awakening. Obviously, that is... Today's most hated generation, boomers, right? And they are now becoming today's senior leaders. History shows that that is a generation that takes society through the next crisis, right? They preside as elder leaders, senior generation of leaders through the next crisis. Uh, and that's kind of where we are. Um, the next archetype is the, the throwaway kids of the awakening. We call them the nomad archetype. We've seen them in every generational cycle going back centuries. And, uh, you know, in the last cycle, that was the lost generation, uh, the, the, uh, the, the kids who, who ultimately went to World War I, and they were the midlife leaders of World War II. They were the, you know, George Pattons and Omar Bradleys and ultimately Harry Truman and Dwight Eisenhower, right, belonged to that generation. Yep. Today, that's Generation X, pragmatic, a little bit cynical, very much disconnected from civic life and they'll go in any direction that works, You know, very pragmatic. Yep. And then finally, you have the final archetype is what we call the hero, uh, optimistic, rational, and uh, team-driven, uh, very much oriented around community. Uh, the last time we saw the GI generation, we've seen other generations in our history. Uh, we think millennials are of that type, and it's gonna be very interesting to see them finally, belatedly, we think this last midterm we begin that at, get really engaged politically. Okay, great.
0: Well, thanks a lot, Neil. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And just, you know, again, a reminder, we're going to be launching uh, Neil's mass market product called Demography Unplugged. It's going to be available at the beginning of Q2, and uh, I think everybody's going to really enjoy that. Neil obviously has uh, a lot of insight on these topics and has written some great books as well that you should take a look at when you get a chance. Thanks a lot, Neil. Thanks, Daryl. Thanks.